0: Okay, let's, um, let's come back together again and we'll make a, a start on our second session, which is a, a much more biblical look uh, at what Jesus has to say to our anxieties. Uh, it seems we're, we're not going to be opening our scripture a lot, it's going to be a bit quite whirlwindy, but I'm going to give you lots of uh, things that you can maybe look up uh, a little later. Why don't we start with praying, focus us back on who Jesus is. Father God, thank you uh, for the gift of refreshment. Thank you for uh, the chance to chat to each other uh, over the last half hour. Uh, And Father, thank you for this another opportunity to get together and to listen to you uh, and to apply your word to our our struggles. Father, through your word, please be speaking to us. Please be encouraging us, we pray. Please be making us ever more like you and enabling us to persevere uh, through whatever tough times we're going through right now. Amen. Amen. Good, right. I am thrilled the window is open. We need a bit there in here, I'm just going to grab my cardi I'm a bit closer to it than you are. There we go. Well, sometimes uh, when it comes to the Bible, we can use it horrendously badly when it comes to anxiety. Now, there is no such thing as a bad verse in the Bible. They are all beautiful. They are all good. They are all God-inspired. But sometimes clumsily used, they can actually cause massive pain. I remember going through a period of anxiety Uh, And sharing this with different people, about four or five weeks running at church. And every single one of them responded by taking me to Matthew 5 and going, consider the lilies. They neither spin nor weave, but uh, God is looking after them. Think about the sparrows. Now, that is a beautiful God-inspired verse. But the way it was being used in the hands of my Christian friends was basically the spiritual equivalent of stop it. You know, you're anxious? Well, don't be. Think about a flower, think about a sparrow, it's all going to be rosy. And quite frankly, at the end of those four or five weeks, the only desire in my heart uh, was to take a lily and to shove it down a sparrow's throat. (laughs) I hadn't engaged with God or, or felt any less anxious as a result of anything that was being told to me, even though it was scripture that was being used. Because actually scripture was being used really badly. And what we don't wanna do with people, either ourselves or others, when they're going through anxiety is do the spiritual equivalent of stop it. Just trust God more and it'll be fine. Read your Bible a bit, pray a bit, it's all gonna go away. It's not. That's not how it works if we keep it that simple. But there is beauty and there is hope and there is help within the pages of scripture. And that doesn't surprise us because God is loving and kind and he wants to help us through things like anxiety. And what we're going to do is look at three different categories of words that the Bible says to us that we can hear from God and we can share with the people around us. They are words that root us in who we are and who God is, words that refine us, words that help us to change, uh, and words that relate, words that encourage us to turn to God and other people in the midst of our struggling. And what we're going to do is we're going to go through those uh, three sections uh, one by one at a fairly well-windy kind of pace. But knowing me, I'm gonna go on for too long because I just can't stop talking. And in the process, we're gonna remember that each and every one of us in this room are this combination of three things. We are all saints, or if we're not Christian yet, we are at least in God's image and potentially saints in the future, which means for all of us, there's gonna be things in our life that we can go praise God. That is really wonderful that that's happening. Uh, We're gonna remember that we're all sufferers, and that means for all of us, there are gonna be things in our life for which we need comfort. Uh, and we're all sinners as well, which means there's all, for all of us there are things in our life for which we need challenge. And as we look at these words that re- root and refine and relate, we're going to hopefully get those encouragements. We're going to get that encouragement, um, comfort, and we're going to get that challenge along the way. Now, some of us are going to need to hear the encouragement more than we hear the challenge. Some of us are going to need the comfort more than we hear the encouragement. And some of us are going to need to hear the challenge more than we hear the comfort. We're all, we're all in different places. But we are all a combination of those three things. And so we want to be touching base on all three of them as we go. So let's start off. Uh, There's not going to be lots of chatting in this session, but I'm going to leave just a little bit of time for reflection at the end of the three sections. So first of all, words that root us in who God is. You see, anxiety whispers lots of lies into our life. It whispers, I'm alone. It whispers, I'm unsafe. It whispers, I don't know what, where to go. It, it whispers, I haven't got what I need. And it whispers, everything is out of control. And none of those things are true. Mm. And one of the first things we need to do uh, when it comes to anxiety is kind of frame our experience of anxiety in God's world, consciously in God's world. Because our anxiety world can, can become very small. We can be defined by what's going on in us and around us. But we need to remember painful though that is, it's all bound by God and his world. And these are the beautiful things that he's doing in that framework around our pain. So to start with, we can remind ourselves and tell others that God is with us. We are not alone in our anxiety. You see, Psalm 139 reminds us that he made us, he he wove us together in our mother's womb. We can't go from the east or the west, the heights or the depths to get away from him. He knows what we're going through and so every time in our anxiety we feel that we are alone we can go back to verses like Psalm 139 and go I'm not alone I'm in this with God God's in this with me now that doesn't take away the pain but I think we all know the difference between facing a tough thing by ourselves and facing a tough thing alongside someone that cares for us there is a world of difference between those two things And just reminding ourselves that God uh, is with us in whatever our struggles, in and of itself, can be a transformational thing. But it's not just about God being there, it's what he does whilst there that is really crucial. And the first thing to remember is that God is our refuge. Psalm um, Psalm 18 is a great place to go for that. Now, I have a confession. Um, I watch a little bit too much Lord of the Rings. Um, I am marginally obsessed with the story, Uh, and even uh, earlier this week, I I watched the trilogy uh, uh, back-to-back, whilst under the duvet with a packet of marshmallows. It was a glorious day. Um, One thing I love about Lord of the Rings, or or other films like that, is some of the uh, the battle scenes. Uh, But before a battle scene, what you get is someone sounding an alarm, and people are fleeing to Helm's Deep, or they're fleeing to whatever uh, fortress is nearby. And what you don't see in a film like that, or any other film where there's a a fortress scene, is the alarm being sounded, and then people going, oh, I I just need to wash my hair before I go to the fortress. Or maybe I should just do a bit more housework before I run. I mean, the marauding army, well, they're at least half a mile away. I think if I just do the dishes, I don't want them to come and smash the place up and think I'm a bit of a slob. <laughs> you, you don't get people doing trivial stuff, trying to make themselves look better when the marauding army is coming and the alarm has been sounded to go to the refuge and to the fortress. People just run. With messy hair, you grab your child, you grab an, an apple, and, and, you, and you peg it as fast as you can to the fortress. And God wants us to treat him like that in our anxiety, but so often, we don't. When the tough times hit, when we get scared, rather than running to him, we try 101 other things first. Oh, well, I just, I just try make myself a bit more respectable before running to God. If I just try and calm myself down a bit before I pray. If I just maybe uh, uh, call a few friends, have something to eat, you know, make you know, spiritual brush myself up before running to the presence of God. And God says in our anxiety, Look, I'm with you. Just, just, just keep running to me. I, I, I'm not put off by the mess. I'm not put off by the chaos in your life. Come to me as you are. Just run, because I am your place of safety. He is a rock, a refuge, a fortress, a stronghold, the Psalms remind us. And he wants us to be in his loving arms, within his loving walls, not outside floundering around. But he's not just a protective refuge, which is quite a, a passive stationary thing. He's an active shepherd in the middle of our anxiety as well. If you ever had that moment of anxiety? Not only are you feeling alone, not only are you feeling unprotected, but you just don't know where to go. You don't know what decision to make. You don't know where to turn. And Jesus is saying, you know, I am your shepherd. Just as the Father is Jesus' shepherd, so Jesus is our shepherd. And he's leading us through the fear. I love the imagery of sheep uh, in the Bible, because quite frankly it sums me up quite nicely. Um, You know slightly adorable but also quite dumb Um, I'm not going to say that about you but I will say that about me and I get myself into such messes and I love the fact that the shepherd has a rod and a staff the rod is to beat off the walls as an act of protection and the staff is to drag the sheep back when it goes into crazy places and I can see that I need that as an anxious human being I need a God that is protecting me from the bad stuff out there and I need a God that's going to go oh Helen really really come on back we come back we come let's come back to a sensible path because wandering over there is really not going to help and that is what our good shepherd does in the middle of our anxiety we might be sitting there going I'm alone I'm unsafe I don't know where to go but the Bible is saying you're not alone God is with you you're not unsafe the refuge is around you you're not confused. You know, God is leading you. You just have to follow him. And, and the, the other good thing about a shepherd is he leads one step at a time. You know, he doesn't go, oh, look, the green pasture's over there. Let's put a sheep in a catapult and then just catapult the sheep into the green pasture all in one go. And he's going, no, we've got rocky bits. We've got green pastures. We've got streams. We've got fields. We've got mountains. Just going to lead you through those one step at a time intimately protecting you uh, as you go that is how we get through our anxiety by keeping our eyes fixed on him and going i haven't got strength to go far that's okay we're just going to take another step i'm looking (coughs) after you i'm not going to let you wander off just keep going keep your eyes on me but sometimes maybe in our anxiety we just feel a bit too weak we feel like we can't keep going well god says I'm going to provide you, provide for you every moment of the day. Uh, Another part of the Bible that I'm particularly fond of is Exodus 16. Uh, To give you a bit of background, uh, the Israelites had been slaves in Egypt. Uh, We've had the plagues, we've had the Passover. Moses has led them across the sea uh, and they started wandering around in the wilderness. Now, as a group of people, there's probably no one else in the whole of human history other than those who witnessed the crucifixion who have seen the power of God so clearly. Mm-hmm. Now, these people have seen plagues, they've seen Passover, they've seen Pharaoh basically overthrown. They've seen a sea part before them. And mm-hmm. this is pretty miraculous stuff. I don't mm-hmm. see this in London. I'm guessing you don't see it in Bristol. <laughs> uh, this is incredible power of God stuff. And yet just a couple of months in to their wandering in their desert, they are moaning like mad and basically part of this I think is anxiety because they keep saying I don't want to go forward I want to go back and they want to go back to this fictional moment in time where they think everything was better and I can see that <coughs> in myself I pick this moment uh, in history where I think I was happy and I wish I could go back to it the reality is I wasn't happy then I, I, You know, it was, it was just as much chaos then as at any other point in my life But I pretend that if I could just go back, it would all be all right. If I could just unravel some of the stuff that happened. Rewind time. And the Israelites were a bit like that. And they kept saying, oh, I wish we could go back to Egypt. Um, You were slaves? Oh, but we sat round pots of meat. Uh, You were literally starving to death. But you know, we had what we needed there. We were happy there. They were actually killing your children. They were taking your babies and killing them before your eyes. But they convinced themselves that rather than going forward into the future, which was unknown, they, they'd rather go back to something familiar, however painful that was. And do you ever see that in yourself in anxiety? Rather than pushing forward, rather than wanting to go to the next step and the next step, just wanting to stagnate or, or to go back. Now, I'm guessing God could have got uh, slightly frustrated with them and go, for goodness sake, give me plagues, give me a Passover, give me a pillar of fire. And how much more do you want? But he doesn't. He just says, I'll provide for you day by day. Mm. There's going to be manna and there's going to be quail every day. Now, interesting, he doesn't do whatever the equivalent of a little shop would have been back then and give them everything they needed for 40 years or indeed everything they gave needed for a year. He chose to provide for them one day at a time. Double proportions on the uh, night before Sabbath, but the rest of it one day at a time. And so basically says, Monday, here you have what you need, trust me. Tuesday, here you have what you need, trust me. Wednesday, here you have what you need, trust me. And basically, God still treats us in the same way, not with manner and quail, but he doesn't give us everything we need for the next ten years all in one go. He does give us what we need for today. He's a providing God. He gives us what we need to do what we need to do today. Now, Occasionally, what we need to do today is stay in bed. It's not like he gives us all the ability to climb Mount Everest every day. He gives us enough to do what he calls us to do, however big or small that might be. I've already mentioned uh, my fear of flying. Uh, And I remember one uh, moment, again, with one of my friends, he was a pastor, just saying, I, I just really really stressed out I know that I don't have it in me to act like a godly woman in a plane that is crashing I don't know why I worry about these things but at that moment in time I, was like, I just I'm, I'm going to dishonor God I'm going to swear I'm going to say something unhelpful I'm going to be you know I want to encourage the people around me but I don't have it what it in me to, to act in a good way when the plane is crashing and, and, and my friend Matt who is very lovely and wise uh, just leant over and said, It's okay. You're not in a plane that's crashing. (laughs) If, in the very unlikely event, you ever find yourself in a plane that is crashing, God will give you what you need to honour him in those last moments. But he hasn't given it to you now because you don't need it. And often we say in anxiety, I haven't got what I need to be a parent of a teenager. Well, no, because your child is only two. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> I haven't got it in me to, to, to do that job that promotion that I might get next year well no that's right because you haven't got that promotion yet you, you've got what you need to do your job now mm. I haven't got it in me to persevere through a long term illness well, well no because you haven't been diagnosed with one yet mm. you know all these things that we say the future, the future I haven't got it in me, no well, you haven't because you don't need it but when we get to that point God provides what we need mm. each and every day And God is king in the meantime over our circumstances. If there's anyone in the Bible that has reason to feel anxious, it's Joseph. I mean, think about his life story. Grew up in a slightly dysfunctional family, pretty unpopular with his brothers, and when I say pretty unpopular, (laughs) plotted to murder him and actually started to engage with that plan. Pulled back at the last minute and decided to sell him into slavery, which is clearly so much better. And he gets trafficked to a foreign land, as a slave. Feeling anxious for Joseph already? But it doesn't stop there. He gets falsely accused by his slave master's wife of uh, soliciting her after he rejected her advances. He got thrown into prison unjustly, where he languished for decades, made a couple of nice friends who promptly forgot him on their release, and eventually got remembered, got out of prison Is this all right? No, no. Got out of prison to stand before the most powerful person in the known world and interpret his dreams. Mm -hmm. And basically got to tell the most powerful person in the whole world that there's a famine coming and most of the people in your country might die. Mm -hmm. Did it get better after that? Well, maybe slightly. He got out of prison to have the most stressful job in the country, which was to navigate an entire land through a massive famine and stop people dying, like being a prime minister in the middle of a war. Can you imagine a more stressful life story? I mean, it makes my (laughs) life pale into insignificance when I think about stress. But at the end of that story, Joseph was able to look his brothers in the eye and goes, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. There might have been masses of pain coming at him, and we're not going to minimise that pain in any way, shape or form. It would have hurt astronomically. But he was able to see that God had good purposes all the way through that. That didn't take away the pain, but it did help him navigate that pain because he knew it wasn't pointless, he knew it wasn't purposeless, he knew it wasn't without a plan, and he knew it had a destination that was good because God had defined it. Now sometimes I sit on my bed at 2 o'clock in the morning feeling anxious, and sometimes I can sit there and go, I'm alone, it's out of control, I don't know what to do, I haven't got it in me, help. And what I simply do is I sit there and I imagine those pictures all around me. I might be sitting in my bed with very real problems, but my king is reigning over me. My fortress is around me. My shepherd is before me. My spirit, or God's spirit, is providing every single moment of the day. And I am with the one who loves me most. Does that take the bad stuff of my life away? Of course not. All the triggers for anxiety are still there. But has it changed my experience of anxiety? Massively. Because I'm not alone. I'm not without hope. I'm not without direction. I'm not without security. All that I need is right there at two o'clock in the morning in bed with me. It's wonderful to remind ourselves of who God is in the middle of our anxiety. But often we need to remind ourselves of who we are as well and root ourselves in our own identity. Because often when we're feeling anxious, we start criticising ourselves. Not in a, a rational, yes, you're a sinner who needs repentance kind of way. But in an irrational, oh, you idiot, you've messed up again, it's all horribly wrong. You shouldn't expect any better of you. You always mess things up. How could you possibly? There's no hope for someone as messed up as you. Do you ever say those things to yourself? Do you ever feel those feelings of hopelessness and despair? Well, the Bible helps us combat that too. Right at the beginning of Genesis 1, it reminds us that just because we are human, we are in the image of God. And that means as I look out on this room, I know a handful of names, most of you I haven't spoken to. You are little pictures showing me what God is like. Now, you're not God, no one here is divine. But you are little pictures, little photographs, little visual aids of who Jesus is. You see, I've already seen from a distance how you can care and relate to each other. There's love in this room. And that shows me a little bit about the love of God. I've already seen that there's creativity. You, you can see that on the spread out there. And that's a little bit like God, God is like. He's, he's creative. I, I can, I've already seen there's a kind of bit of... Authority, some of you know how to kind of organize things and, and rule over little bits of chaos and, and get bread in the right place. It might not seem very much, but it's, a, it's an act of authority. And that shows us a little bit about God's authority. And so the very fact you're human means that you have value because you help people understand who God is. And that doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not a Christian. It is just the act of being human and being alive. That means you have value but actually if you're Christian it gets even more exciting than that places like Ephesians 1 are beautiful places to go because Ephesians 1 if, if you ever there's no reason why you should ever need to read it in the Greek but if you do you'll notice <laughs> that actually this isn't a nice measured passage with lots of full <coughs> stops and, and <coughs> punctuation along the way this is Paul from verse 3 onwards basically taking a deep breath and splurging. There is, I think it's 11 verses, which is all one long sentence in the original. He is just so excited about who God is and what God has done for us. And what we see in Ephesians one, is what our true identity is. See, when we're feeling guilty, in our anxiety. Oh, I've messed up again. I can't believe I've been that stupid. Ephesians 1 proclaims the wonderful truth that we are lavished with grace. Not a little bit of grace, not a reluctant bit of grace, but (coughs) lavished with grace. You see, sometimes we can kid ourselves that we're forgiven, you know, in an academic sense, but you know, God couldn't really forgive me. I mean, he's forgiven everyone else in the church, but but not me. Or maybe he's forgiven most of the stuff I've done, but not that really bad stuff that I've done. But that's not how the cross works. When Jesus uh, died on the cross, he didn't hang there and say, I'm dying for the sins of the whole world, except for this really irritating bunch of women in Bristol. They have just gone beyond the pale not gonna love that. No, his his death on the cross was sufficient. He didn't mess it up. He didn't miss you out. Everything in our past, if we are following Christ, has been washed away. So when in those anxious moments we go, oh, I'm an idiot, I'm so guilty. We can remember Ephesians 1 and many other places in the Bible besides and go, no, no, I'm clean. Psalm 51, wash whiter than snow. And not the slushy city centre slow the day after, but the freshly fallen snow on the top of the hills that is white and beautiful and pure. Maybe our sins were like scarlet, but they've gone. Completely gone. Nothing left. And nothing we can do in the future, if we remain in Christ, can actually make us guilty. We are a forgiven and holy and clean people. Yes, we still need to mess up. Yes, there's a need to say sorry. But our status before the living God is that of forgiven and clean. And that can't change. And the Bible says God loves to lavish that grace on us. He has pleasure, it tells us in Ephesians 1, in making us this clean and this pure community. He doesn't regret forgiving you. He doesn't regret adopting you. He doesn't, you know, he chose you before the beginning of time, Ephesians 1 reminds us. You know, before, before, you know, the world was made, before Bristol existed, before dinosaurs were roaming the earth, before, 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 you were on his mind. That is how much he cares. That is how much he wants you in his family. So when those anxiety lies of being useless and pathetic and guilty and unloved come. He can turn to places like Ephesians 1 and go, that's just not true. That's what anxiety is whispering to me. But what God is shouting is chosen, called, clean, forgiven, adopted, secure in my loving arms, and that's never going to change. Mm. The past is dealt with. And in our present, we're equipped. The Holy Spirit is dwelling in each and every one of us who are in Christ. And that means we can do and can get through what he's called us to. Now it doesn't mean we can do anything our crazy minds would desire. I used to work at London City Mission, uh, there are a lot of rappers at London City Mission. We have a lot of people that come from that grime and grunge kind of uh, background, uh, and that I have not listened to as, to as much rap in the last five years as I listened to in the 45 years before that. It's just rap everywhere. Even at my leaving day, people rapped for me. <laughs> And occasionally, uh, one of the guys would come and put his arms around my shoulder and said, Helen, I think you ought to rap. <laughs> and I, I'd say, sweetie, you know, that's very kind, but look at me. Do, do I look like someone that's going to be good at rapping? Just listen to my voice. Look at the way I move. I, I am not... I, I love renaissance music, medieval music. That's where I'm happiest. I don't understand why baseball caps get put on backwards. It makes no sense to me. <laughs> And they'll sometimes say, you know, you can do anything with God. He is the God of the impossible. The spirit is inside you. Don't limit the spirit. I was going, I'm really not limiting the spirit. You know, the spirit is there to enable me to do what God is calling me to do. And I'm pretty sure he's not calling me to rap. And sometimes in the middle of our anxiety, we think that if we should be Christians, we should be able to do X, Y and Z, all these stunningly impressive things that surely we should be able to run that marathon. Surely we should be able to stand up in front of a thousand people and teach with confidence. Surely, surely, surely we should be able to do. Now, there is a sense in which the spirit is changing us and maybe some of those things we will be able to do. But sometimes God is simply not calling us to rap. Sometimes God is simply not calling us to run a marathon. Sometimes God is simply not calling us to be a big stadium speaker. He's given us different gifts. And sometimes we can want the gifts that other people have got. Now, me standing up in front of 3,000 people, my heartbeat won't even race a, a, an iota. I see nothing fearful about standing up in front of a group of people. The more, the merrier, as far as I'm concerned. However, I have been known to sit and cry in our church kitchen when someone's asked me to operate the dishwasher. I have spatial <laughs> awareness issues, I have a visual impairment, which means I can't tell, I can't do shapes and sizes. You know, I've been known to do a shape sorter with a three-year-old, and the three-year-old to come up and put his hand on my shoulder and, and go, it's okay, Helen then do it <laughs> because without counting the sides I don't know if it's a triangle or a square so if someone says to me load a dishwasher I might I, I get palpitations I'm getting better now I've had some lessons I've had some therapy God has wired us all differently now there are going to be people in this room for who's standing up in front of a group this size or a group of 3,000 people is never going to be in God's plan for you so he's not going to equip you to do that But you are going to be a dab hand with a dishwasher. You're going to have a gift of hospitality that far outweighs anything I can ever do. And so the gift of the Spirit is to equip us for His work, not our crazy plans. We are equipped for what He wants us to do, and that is to honor Him in whatever circumstances of life He calls us to. Our past is forgiven. Our present is equipped. There is no such thing as, I can't get through this in the Christian life. Now, of course, there will be that moment when he calls us home to him. We'll stop persevering when he decides that it's time for us to come back. But in the meantime, we can keep putting our feet one in front of the other with our eyes fixed on Jesus, persevering through what he's called us to. Part of that is just going to be persevering through the toughness. And part of that is going to be changing to be more like him. I'm going to look at that change in our next section. But also, thing to remember that Ephesians one tells us is our future is secure. There is no such thing as an unhappy ending for those who are in Christ. It might feel like life is horribly overwhelming now. It might feel like everything is going wrong beyond belief. And I can't promise that next week's going to be any easier. You know, you'll find these health, wealth, and prosperity preachers that will tell you that you know, give just a bit of extra money to the church. You know give Nathan a few more hundred pounds in the coffers and actually, you know, it'll be fine. All your problems will go away. I'm sure Nathan's never said that. (laughs) It's a lie. God never promises that life is going to get easy in this life. But what he does promise is that one day it will be perfect and the anxiety will go away. And he asks us to keep persevering until he chooses to bring us into that perfection. Because there will be a moment when we get no more palpitations. There will be uh, an eternity where we don't get scared. There'll be an eternity where we don't cry. There'll be an eternity where we don't worry. That is a little way away, but it's not that far off. And if we remind ourselves of the beauty to come, it makes it that bit easier to persevere through the toughness right now. So I'm going to leave just a moment of silence. You can talk to the next year if you want to, but this is personal stuff. What words of rooting do you need to hear right now? What truths about God, what truths about yourself do you need to help you persevere through your anxiety this week? Just a few moments to reflect. Well, let's look at the last two categories of words, and these sections are shorter. Ephesians 4 and verses 22 to 24 gives us a beautiful model of change. Because whilst God doesn't promise that all our anxiety will go away this side of heaven, it is good to pursue a life that is more trusting and less anxious. So how do we do that? Well, Ephesians 22 to 24 says there's a three-part process of change to take off our old self, to have our minds transformed through God's word and to put on our new self. Now, what that does not mean is a simplistic take off anxiety, read the Bible more and put on trust. That is, that is not what it's saying. That will never work in a million years if we just say, it's like having a New Year's resolution. This year I am not going to get anxious. It's not going to work. It might work for a few hours. But I'd like you to imagine for a moment that your anxiety is a bit like a brick wall made up of many individual bricks. And within that brick wall, there will be a belief system and there will be a behaviour system that is all around your anxiety. Uh, Now, it might be there's lots of thoughts in there like, I'm useless, everything's out of control. But there'll also be behaviour in there like eating too many hobnobs, or running to pornography or having too much to drink. Uh, And that wall together, all that belief and that behaviour, is is what's making up your anxiety experience. Well, what we do with this model of change is just to (coughs) focus on one brick. So, for example, your brick might be everything is out of control. That's not an uncommon thing to think of uh, in anxiety. And the idea is you just focus on that one brick. You don't try and tackle the rest of the wall. You're just going to try and change that one brick. And so every time you find yourself thinking, oh, it's out of control, you catch yourself and go, oh, now that's an old Helen way of thinking. That's, that's actually a, a pre-Christian thought. So that's something I want to take off. Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for thinking that everything's out of control. There's a bit of repentance in there. You're not repenting for being sad. You're not repenting for having a tough time. It's the repentance for going, oh, in the middle of this, I've, I've just denied that you're sovereign and good. So I'm just going to say a quick sorry for that. Not on a guilt trip, but on a reorientation. So that's your taking off. You're catching yourself. You're going, oh, I don't want to think that anymore. That's not true. And a quick sorry to God whose forgiveness is sure. Then after we've done that, having our minds transformed. Again, and, and so I'm going to look and remind myself of all the ways you really are in control, God. So that might mean looking at Mark 1 to 8 and looking at how Jesus has authority over nature, has authority over people, has authority over sickness, has authority over demons, has authority over death. Just get a big picture swathe of what Jesus being in control looks like. It might mean looking at the story of Ruth or Joseph uh, and remembering uh, just how much God has worked their paths out and kept them safe on, on difficult journeys. It might be chatting to a friend at church and swapping testimonies of how you've seen God being in control in different circumstances of life. Just soaking your mind in evidence that God is in control. And then resolving, with the help of the people around you, to put on your new self, which means rather than going everything's out of control, it's going, oh, life is really hard, but thank you that it's not out of control. Thank you that I can trust you as my king. Now, that is not a one and done thing. You can't do that this afternoon and then go on for the rest of your life and it being okay. This is a lifestyle. Mm -hmm. But gradually it becomes quicker. So initially you go, everything's out of control, everything's out of control, everything's out of control. Everything, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, I'm going to be doing something about that, aren't I? And then gradually it becomes, everything's out of control. No, it's not. Everything is under control. Until at some point in the future, if, if you keep working by God's goodness, you can go, everything is, uh, everything is under control and God is good. And you can catch yourself before the words even fully form in your mind. And as that happens, that brick comes out of your anxiety wall. And the stranglehold that anxiety has on you is loosened. Now, it's not going to go away at that point. That's one brick. But it's a start of a process, and little by little, we can work on it in bite-sized chunks. Same goes for behavior, hobnobs. We use hobnobs because that's my um, poison of choice. I come home at the end of a a long day, and I get out a packet of hobnobs. I eat hobnobs by the packet. Thankfully, I have a high metabolism and a crazy life, which means I'm running around all over the place, so it doesn't look like I eat hobnobs by the (laughs) packet, but I assure you sometimes I do. Or at least I did. I'm down to about a third of a packet now. This is spiritual growth. (laughs) (laughs) And it's getting there. And initially you you take that packet out and you kind of go, hang on a second, this is sugar. Sugar's nice. But sugar is not Jesus. That's my old self. Eating this packet of hobnobs is not what I want to be doing right now. Lord, I'm sorry that that was my first instinct. (coughs) Let, let me go to you for comfort. Because actually that's what the knobs are representing in my life. Something nice that makes me feel better. Let me look at the Psalms and see the comfort that you bring. Let me read some of the Old Testament narratives that show how comforting that you are to people in need. Let me read John 4, the woman at the well, and see how tender you were with a woman whose life was spiralling out of control. Let me soak my mind in your comfort. And then move on to being able to say, Lord, thank you that I can know that I am comforted in the middle of my pain. And thank you that I don't need sugar to help me remember that. Now, occasionally we're going to go back to the hobnobs. There's grace for that. And you know what? Hobnobs are not intrinsically evil. If we want to have a hobnob along the way, that's all right. But it's about turning to God first and with the most trust. Trust not turning to the sugar. And as we gradually get to the point where we're going to the sugar less and to Jesus more, as we see that bigger picture of how comforting he is, that's another brick in our anxiety wall that's got loose. The cement starts to fall out. It begins to wobble. It no longer has the strength that it did. And gradually, we can work through our wall and take out more and more bricks. For some of us, we will you know maybe we've got relatively small walls to start with and we'll be able to get all the bricks out of our anxiety wall and move to a place where anxiety really isn't so much of an issue for us anymore for others of us over the years over masses of tough things that have happened to us you know our anxiety wall is tall and it is thick and that means that this side of heaven the best we can hope for is is, is loosening half a dozen bricks to take that anxiety level down that that anxiety is going to be with us. But either way, if we can keep our eyes on Jesus, our experience of anxiety will change. Mm. It doesn't have to stay where it is now. It can gradually become a journey of, of transformation, a journey where we will trust more and worry less. And you see, we can do this. In the view of, of many people, both in heaven and also people on earth, who are there to spur us on, who are there to give us examples. Hebrews 12 is a a fantastic uh, part of the Bible, uh, which talks a lot about the heroes of the faith. It talks about Abraham, it talks about um, uh, Moses, it, it talks about loads of people that have done astonishing things for God. But of course, the Hebrews of the faith were actually a bunch of Muppets. They just happened to be used by God. I mean, Noah, yes, he built an ark. Yes, he saved humanity from drowning. Yes, he saved two by two the animals who went in there. He also had a little bit of an alcohol problem. Uh, You wouldn't have wanted to be his sons uh, after he got drunk and naked and he had to kind of walk backwards into the tent to cover him up. He was a Muppet who was used by God in exciting ways. Same with Abraham, you know, father of the Israelite nation, left his place of uh, uh, home to go to a foreign land in obedience with God. Great guy. You would not want to be married to Abraham. You get to the city gates, is this your wife? No, no, she's nothing to do with me. Yeah, you marry her, that's fine. What? He's a Muppet, but he's used by God. And it's the same by us, we we can often think, oh yeah, but I'm not like Abraham, I'm not like Noah, I'm not like Moses. Moses didn't want to lead the people out of Israel. He asked God to get someone else to do it. These aren't great heroes of the faith because they're intrinsically brilliant. They're heroes of the faith because God chooses to work in them. And that means there's hope for people like you and I. We don't need to be brilliant to persevere through our anxiety. We just need Jesus, and we've got him already. So we can be people who who do wonderful things like persevering through our anxiety, like, like having lives that are transformed. Not because we're great, but because we're dependent on the one who is great. So another short moment of pausing. Of those words that refining that we've just heard, what do you need to hear this week? Or maybe what brick do you want to start taking out of your wall? The temptation of days like this is to come to it. It's like, yes, that's it. I'm going to conquer anxiety this week. This is the week we're going to... No, please don't do that. <laughs> please, please don't do that. But if you can identify one brick that you want to take out of your wall, one thing that you're going to work on, with, maybe with a sister in Christ, prayerfully under the Lordship of God, That would be a fantastic step. What's your brick gonna be this week? Well, finally, words that relate. It's hard to pray when we feel anxious. In fact, sometimes the only prayer I can pray when I'm feeling anxious is the four-letter word, help. I just don't know what else to do. And sometimes that's all we can pray, and that's okay. But sometimes in our prayer life, well, I think we kind of almost hold ourselves in anxiety because, well, all we ask God is to do is to take the tough stuff away. And while sometimes he will do that, the reality is, sometimes he's given us that tough stuff in the first place mm. and he's given us that tough stuff for a reason so he's not going to take it away he's going to leave us in it and if we, all we ever ask him to do is take it away and he's saying well actually no I've given it to you then the conversation isn't particularly fruitful what we want to be doing is talking to God about all aspects of our anxiety and seeing the ways that he chooses to answer So, prayers of release, uh, please take this away, are a great place to start. Sometimes God does want to take our anxieties away. Sometimes God does want to take the triggers away. He's a kind and generous God. Sometimes he will do exactly that. But when he doesn't, I think praying more creatively and more diversely can be a transforming uh, experience. We can pray prayers of resilience. Lord, help me to trust you. In the middle of this. I, I want this to be something that builds my faith. I, um, I uh, spend a, a fair amount of time in Africa, or at least I, I used to, um, uh, and sometimes I go beyond the city walls into quite rural places in Africa. Places that don't necessarily have running water, places that don't necessarily have rubbish collections or anything like that. Uh, and sometimes outside the village, outside the town, you'll go to the rubbish tip. And that is uh, a pretty disgusting place. It is brown, it is grey, it is smelly, there is excrement of all kinds lying around, wild animals uh, scavenging for what they can find. And it is a disgusting experience. But I remember once being at this rubbish tip, Uh, and a small child taking my hand and leading me round the back of this grey and brown sludge and stench. And at the back, there was the most beautiful, vibrant red flower, standing firm, glorious petals, strong, vibrant green stem and leaves. And it occurred to me that actually Sometimes that's what we're like in the middle of our tough things. Yes, of course we'd like the rubbish tip to go away. It's smelly, it's horrible, it stinks. But God is saying, actually, this is the context in which I am going to grow your faith to be ever more strong and ever more beautiful. I am making you more beautiful through this tough stuff. Now, there are moments where I just want it easy but there are other moments where I want to be beautiful for Christ. And we can be asking God to help us to do that. Lord, help me to trust you, help me to rely on you, help me to become more like you. We can be that plant in the middle of the rubbish tip. Strong, beautiful, healthy. We also might need to pray prayers of repentance. That's not, I'm sorry for life hurting. I'm not, I'm sorry for being anxious, but I'm sorry that I doubted you in the middle of my anxiety. Please help me not to do that again. I'm sorry that I turned to pornography or drugs or alcohol or shopping rather than you. As I struggle, change me to be more like Jesus. I I want to be more like Christ. Or prayers of resurrection. Thank you that one day I'll be free. Thank you that this isn't going to go on forever. And as we pray to God in those wonderfully diverse ways, it opens up new horizons for hope. We remember that the pain, real though it is, is not without purpose. And we can become ever more exciting and beautiful as a result of what we're going through. But we also want to be relating to other people around us. The people next to you right now are not just other random people that live in Bristol, they're your family. They are people that God has deliberately put you alongside so you can love them and they can love you in return. Now let's be honest, there's gonna be some people in the church that we find it easier to love than others. You don't have to make eye contact at this moment, (laughs) it's all right. (laughs) That is the reality of being in community. But everyone here is for a purpose. And you need each other. The reality is, I'm getting on a train in about two hours' time. I'm going back to London. And we might see each other again, but we might not. But you are going to see each other tomorrow. You're going to see each other next week and the week after and the week after. You have an incredible role in spurring each other on in the tough times. You have such an important role that the honest truth is, you genuinely aren't going to be able to persevere without each other. That's going to take being vulnerable with one another. You know, wisely vulnerable. Don't stand up at the front of church and tell everybody your greatest list of sins this week. Talk to a wise and gentle friend who's mature, who you trust. Pray with each other. Point each other to scripture. Remind each other of those words that root and relate and refine. Keep each other accountable. You know, I I have friends that... um, I I haven't told you much of my testimony, but I I became a Christian on a rehab program. You know, I have uh, have had addiction in the past. And so I've still got friends who will text me and go, are you running to Jesus or are you running where you shouldn't run? And I love the fact that they still ask me those questions. We need people to be asking that. (coughs) And you can do that for one another. The whole point of perseverance is is not us screwing ourselves up and going, I can do it, I can do it, I can do it. It's us having our eyes fixed on Jesus, our arms linked with the women and sometimes the men, either side of us, and persevering day by day together. I used to do uh, lots of hill walking. I'm a complete couch potato now. But I used to love going across the Brecon Beacons or, or Dartmoor or Exmoor or something like that. And if you've done anything like that, you'll know how fast the weather can change. You'll know how fast the wind can whip up. Uh, And when I was younger, I was really thin. And I I just sometimes I couldn't keep going in face of the wind. I I was too light. I was too small. And so what did we do at that time? We linked arms. And together, we were strong enough to persevere through the storm. You need each other. So final question. Oops, not the final question. There we go. In what ways can you pray differently this week? In what ways can you maybe approach somebody in the congregation, either to ask for their help or to offer to pray for them? How can you relate more deeply to God in the middle of your anxiety? How can you relate more deeply to the people around Well it's time for me to stop talking. My time is up and my voice is almost gone. Mm -hmm. It's getting thicker and thicker and lower and lower. As the day goes on I'm going to be a bass by the time we get to the the questions. (laughs) But a few uh, places you might like to look for resources. Uh, biblicalcounselling.org.uk is the organisation I'm a trustee of. Uh, We run courses and uh, events like this around the country, Uh, have a blog, there might be some useful things on there. CCEF, a Christian Counselling and Educational Foundation, uh, is the biblical counselling organisation in the States. And they have lots of fantastic resources. In fact, they're the people that publish lots of those books at the bottom of the stairs, those little books on pastoral issues, uh, which are so wonderfully uh, biblical and wise. Uh, some books you might like to look into. Running Scared by Ed Welsh um, is a book from America. It's uh, quite a big book, uh, but it's all about anxiety. Great book to read in bite-sized chunks. It's a big book, but each chapter is quite small. So you feel you can just do it little by little. (coughs) Mirror Mirror by Graham Bayman is a a wonderful book that helps us remember our identity in Christ. It helps us remember that rooting stuff that we were talking about a few minutes ago. Living Without Worry by Tim Lane uh, by The Good Book Company is uh, another book that uh, is quite helpful in helping us persevere through anxiety. And then as a church, or a, as you get together in, in, in sort of twos or threes, you, you might even like to have a look at the Real Change course that Andrew and I uh, wrote uh, a year and a half ago now. It's not going to make you perfect in six weeks, but it will help you take a couple of bricks out of the wall.